Welcome to the Greener Way podcast, a show about people, planet, and purpose, and how investors and corporate leaders push forward in a complex world. Yolanda Beatty, welcome to the Greener Way. Thank you for being here today. Great to be here. Excellent. So Yolanda, why don't you take the opportunity to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about uh, Future Impact and why you decided to found it? Yeah, sure. So my name's Yolanda Beatty. I'm the founder of Future Impact and the director of a boutique consultancy called Yo & Co. Future Impact is one of my flagship programs uh, and the broader practice is all about human potential and helping people build flourishing careers and have fulfilling lives. So Future Impact is an initiative that's about attracting more women into the front office, so helping them launch their career in investment management. And we define investment management as anyone who is recommending, making or implementing an investment decision. To help women do that, we go out and find smart, numerate, curious women um, between the ages of 18 and 25, roughly, so at university and also in their early career. And we let them know about what this incredible profession is all about. We uh, give them an insight into the assets and capital allocation process and then connect them with industry leaders to help them build their networks uh, build their confidence and ultimately a passion for markets that sets them up to succeed in, in the investment management profession. Why specifically the investment management profession, Yolanda? Yeah, well, I, I've worked in and around funds management for most of my career and I have always been personally really interested in markets uh, and the and find the whole process of capital allocation, uh, the, the, the type of dynamics that you have to get your head around you know, whether it be economics, markets, politics, uh, demographics, environmental trends, social trends, you know, there are so many, uh, so much complexity to it. So the intellectual uh, rigor of it has always been something that I've been deeply fascinated by. And I'm, I've always been innately fascinated by the nature of power, who has it and who doesn't. And is that power dynamic the best dynamic to serve, I suppose, the greater interests of the world, you know, my take on the greater interests of the world. And mm. when I was getting involved in the area of workplace gender equality, when I was at the Workplace Gender Equality Agency and I was running the public affairs department, it became apparent that the front office where they were allocating, in the case of Australia, $4 trillion of capital didn't have the uh, women making the decisions and uh, was so male-dominated that, in fact, some 95% of final decision-makers um, continued to be men. And that just doesn't, you know, that just doesn't bode well for good decision-making. Um, not only do the mm. most of the major decision-makers are men, but only some 25-odd percent of the actual investment teams um, are women. So we know mm. that women make great decision makers or the resident or the research shows they also make great investors. They have more humility. Um, they tend to have more, more humility than men. They make better risks than men. And not that it even needs to be a battle of men versus women um, because the research mm. also shows that it's about the diversity ultimately that drives better decision making. And that felt like a career with its huge impact and influence that would have, uh, that'd be incredible to be able to make an impact on. I mean, we could sit here probably for the next half hour and just bat those individual statistics back and forth uh, to each other. You know, the number of, you know, the number of men named Andrew who are CEOs versus the number of women who are CEOs on ASX mm. 200 companies and, and it, fun statistics like that. But in your opinion, 
What are the key barriers to increasing gender and other types of diversity in the financial services industry? The, the big thing uh, at the beginning is is really the uh, the structural dynamics of the funds management industry um, that are changing rapidly. But if you look at it historically, mm. uh, it has been a, an industry of there's almost like a cottage industry. Bar and this is particularly in Australia. Globally, it's a little bit different. But in Australia, it's a series of smallish um, funds and even smaller investment teams, bar a couple of really mega ones like Perpetual or First Century Investors. You know, they're largely relatively small teams um, in the investment side, so less than 20, often less than 10. Mm. Uh, and um, those teams are all pretty tightly held. So they're um, usually often in partnerships or they're in, uh, you know, teams where the turnover is very low, the structure is very mm. flat. Uh, and so the opportunity to bring in difference and, and hire new people in those small teams is just infrequent. There's another challenge that there is an experience bias uh, for those investment teams whereby very few funds, fund managers hire grads or interns. Most of them hire at the junior level um, with someone who's got three to five years experience. Often they're coming from investment banking or or some other kind of M&A transaction, M&A consulting um, type background. Mm. Uh, and so um, those pathways in are very narrow and, and are often very male-dominated as well. So you've got these structural dynamics that are fairly stagnant and, and you've got a system overlay where the asset consultants who influence the super funds put pressure or mark people down if there are movements in the team. So there's a whole lot of stasis in the team construction and a whole mm. lot of structural presses, pressures that, that reinforce that stasis. So that's the first thing. The second thing then is um, a whole lot of other cultural dynamics and practice dynamics within um, funds that mean that they're um, less likely to be as on the radar of women as men um, in these investment mm. roles. So that first piece is that they're not at universities raising awareness um, because they don't hire from universities. So young women just don't know enough about the career. When they do um, think about it, they think about it more like investment banking. If they go to an investment banking internship and they work, you know, 100 hours a week as part of um, just cutting the teeth, that becomes a bit of a turnoff uh, and they get uh, put off by Hollywood stereotypes from shows like Wolf of Wall Street and Billions and the like. Yet mm. when you go into an investment team, you'll generally find a bunch of um, m more kind of introverted, quirky, deep-thinking um, <laughs> analysts than you necessarily will find from um, what you might see on TV. So that's been the history. When we look at um, what's changing, the massive consolidation happening in the industry that's being um, that's a result of the mergers and acquisitions in the particularly the industry super fund space. Mm. the shrinking of the retail super fund space and the shift even more towards industry super funds is creating these mega funds with these with it with and most of them having a mandate to internalize their asset management um, in order to be able to reduce fees which is creating these huge investment teams uh, in a tight talent market where increasingly these investors uh, are recognizing that they need to have a long-term view on their uh, talent identification and development strategies and so we're certainly seeing a growing move towards um, that grassroots talent nurturing and, and future impact plays a part. Mm. But that's just the beginning. You know, that, that's the structural piece. That's the lack of awareness and perception at the university levels. Then we have a whole stack of challenges um, that stop women progressing in the ranks, being promoted through the ranks and staying in the industry. Uh, mm. That also needs to be tackled.
So what's shifted since your first intake of, of young female talent with future impact? It's been what, eight years? I was just trying to calculate in, in my yeah, head. Yeah, so we launched kind of mid-2018, towards the end of 2018. Yeah, yeah so it's, yeah, it's, gosh, it's been six years. Um, and then so four it really years, kicked I guess, off in yeah. Earnest, yeah, through, yeah. It felt like it really kicked off in earnest in 2019. That's when I took it, mm. um, when I left Mercer. Um, I was, so I started it when I was at Mercer and I was able to take it um, with me when I decided to set up my own practice. Mm. And so that it's really been what so four years that we've been in full flight, say, and mm. there's been lots of things that's changed. You know, I think probably the biggest is that M and A industry super fund consolidation and the indigestion that the that these big funds um, were experiencing in that natural process of of of, of going through those big um, big mergers has meant mm. that they're now able to turn to the long term. Uh, having done a fair bit of the, the the tricky work in that consolidation phase. So when I look at um, the likes of Aware Super, Australian Retirement Trust and Mini Super among our newer members over the past um, mm. a few months and ART over the past year, it, it gives you a bit of a sense that there's just a maturing in this phase. It's probably one of the big things. And and that maturing um, means that there's a that openness to that longer term partnership, which is what we what we require for anybody who works with us. They have to sign up to three years. Mm. So that's the first thing. Then the then the second thing in that is I think there's definitely a shift, as I said, uh, into that um grassroots talent development. You know, funds that would never have done an internship through or offered an internship to our winners of our investment comp, for example, are now doing that. Mm. That's another thing. And then I also think that it's easier to engage young women on this topic and actually not that it was that hard in the first place because it's such a compelling career story to tell mm. uh, but it becomes even easier uh, as more and more women take up the opportunities to do say the investment banking internships mm. they provide a perfect pathway for us to be able to contact and connect with them on LinkedIn and be able to say okay you've looked at investment banking you should come and have a look at this profession as well because it's um it's a whole lot of exciting potential for um, great problem solvers. Mm. So those uh, three things combined um, have given us a momentum, I think, in the talent pooling and talent incubating that we're doing um, that really sets us up for some significant impact on this issue over the next five years. And then, so once you get that talent in the door, Yolanda, um, what then, what's, what are the next steps and how do you build that pipeline of talent that hopefully sort of, you know, when, when we talk again in 10 years time, we're talking about, you know, the first future impact intern who's now a portfolio manager or yeah, deputy CIO. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that day too, right? <laughs> uh, and I particularly, you know, I, I've got a, they're more anecdotal than we've got hard data on it yet, but I particularly love it when there's a, there's a woman who had no idea about this career path. So one of my favorite stories is, um, a woman who was doing um, biomedical research, knew she didn't mm-hmm. want to be a researcher, was looking around for different things, came across our virtual intern program, discovered the world of investment management and is now an mm-hmm. equities researcher in the healthcare sector at a um, boutique equity research house. So, mm-hmm. you know, she will, um, I think, has some great potential to be a portfolio manager one day and I look forward to to, um, to, to that day. Uh, so what we do, so we we it's all, almost it's like a bit of a funnel. I describe it like that classic kind of funnel where at the top of the funnel we're doing mm. all those large one-to-many communications predominantly over social media and predominantly over LinkedIn, also through university societies. And then we take them down the funnel into increasingly higher-touch experiences, whether that be Q&As and events and then coming into our investment competition where gender-balanced teams of four 
have to um, complete an investment challenge to go into the heats and then finals, which are coming up in just a couple of weeks. We launched that um, last night, actually, had an information session on that last night with record-breaking interest. Mm. And um, every winner of that team gets a paid summer internship with one of our partners. And then finally, mm-hmm. we move into um, that even more high touch where we're doing um, mentoring circles um, where we get deep engagement and exposure in a smaller group environment with these women uh, to ultimately be able to advocate for their potential with intern and grad roles. And mm. then in the in the early career space, we're still very much kind of figuring, still kind of working through that. This, this year's been a pilot year that's been more about virtual events and roundtables and getting us closer to this market, but are looking at a whole new um, a program for that early career space next year that will be more in-person events and likely to be more mentoring as well. Um, so mm. that we're able to build a deeper relationship with this talent who are much more likely to be in the ideal space for uh, those front office investing roles uh, as mm. a result of their exposure and experience in their first few years of their career. Yolanda, we've talked about this before, but you know, what's the difference between mentorship, that early career sort of relationship, and then sponsorship? Um, and and the, how does that play into developing this pipeline of talent that then can rise up the ranks into more senior roles? Yeah, look, it's such an important part of this um, middle mid-career challenge that um, a lot of women face. And it's not just about, uh, you know, the, the identity measure of gender. It's really anybody who's outside the archetype of an organisation um, is mm-hmm. less likely to have a current that's pulling, that's pulling them up the promotion ranks. It's just the way all systems work. All systems have a dominant archetype um, that more naturally floats to the top, but that that dominant archetype is not necessarily merit-based. It's much more um, based on cultural dynamics. So what sponsorship is designed to do as distinct from mentorship is to equip and enable those senior leaders who are often in the dominant archetype, they're certainly in the top of the tree, and equip and enable mm-hmm. and inspire them to use their reputational capital to advocate for the career advancement of of everybody in the pipeline, but particularly uh, less dominant groups in, in, in that talent pipeline. Mm. The way that I tackle that, so we have a sponsorship program that we're actually starting next week um, uh, down in Melbourne with Schroeder's, CBAS and VFMC, which I'm extremely excited to be getting underway. It's going to be a really exciting experience, uh, an eight-month program where senior mm. leaders from those organisations are being paired with mid-level talent. It'll be men and women on, on both the sponsor and sponsee. And what mm. those sponsors learn about is the different steps to sponsorship because not everybody is ready to move forward and be promoted. Um, and so there are a number of steps that sponsors can take in the step before advocacy. And so we lay that out mm. as as mentorship has a role. That's about providing you know advice, guidance, sharing unwritten rules. The next step up from mentorship is about being a connector where you're connecting talent to beneficial groups and opportunities. Then the next level up is an amplifier where you're amplifying the voice of often underrepresented groups and that's sometimes Mm. about providing a platform but sometimes it's also just about backing up those views. Mm. So it it really speaks to the spectrum of sponsorship. Each has a role um, based on the sponsee and it's such an important behaviour and mindset that needs to be cultivated and developed and incentivized within organizations. I love that you've broken it down into those discrete steps, Yolanda, because it often feels, you know, they seem like two very easy words, mentorship, sponsorship, but being able to figure out what plays into all of those um, 
it, all of those actions along the way is a really it, it it makes it a lot more approachable i believe yeah and i think it it there are so many people that would find well i'm not ready to advocate for this person yet so i'm just i can't sponsor at all and then there's they just mm. you know throw their hands up in the air and and unable to do anything about that um, but mm. everybody has beneficial groups that they can connect people to. And if they're at the top of the tree mm. and they don't, then they need to either look a little harder and start, we'll start cultivating them. But there mm. are so many important steps um, that leaders with a mindset that's about building the capacity and capability in others and enabling their promotion pathway uh, uh, mm. can take that really create this, this thriving and vibrant talent culture within organisations. From your perspective, Yolanda, what does it say that, you know, you know, one of the things that jumped out to me, you've got six of the top 10 super funds in Australia that are partners um, in Future Impact. Um, are we really at a point now where the allocators of Australia's wealth and retirement savings are in a position not only to advocate for greater gender diversity in the companies they're invested in, in but also willing to do the work internally to make sure that their structures represent and reflect the wider diversity of Australia? Yeah, I think these big institutions, and it's not just the big super funds. I think the smaller fund managers would be, you know, saying mm. the same thing. Is that um, there is a there is a there is a strong, clear belief amongst leadership that they have a social contract. That most of those leaders, I'm sure it's not universal. Nothing like this ever is, but um, a fair chunk of those leaders take that social contract very seriously, and mm. uh, that that duty extends to. The people that they recruit and and retain, and um, the culture that they have within those investment teams, and that having a team that represents uh, their constituents is is part of that. Uh, but mm. it's not. I think the other key thing is it's not. You know, d- visible diversity is one part of it. R- uh, arguably, even more important is a culture. Um, I said more important, but certainly equally important is a culture where people are able to do their best work. They're able to bring their best selves to work. They are able to bring out the best in others. And for all of us, that process of being your best self, bringing out the best in others, managing your own insecurities and threat responses and pressures and anxieties is a work in progress. And so Mm. teams that do the work to cultivate that high potential, high performance, high trust culture Um, is a fundamental part of this equation as well. Fantastic. I think that's a great note to end this on. Yolanda Beattie from Yo & Co and Future Impact, thank you so much for walking us through. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, Rachel. Thanks for listening to the Greener Way podcast. If you liked today's show, remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Any feedback? Contact us on podcast at fssustainability.com.au. I'm Rachel Allenbeckis. The Greenaway podcast is a product of FS Sustainability, a show about people, the planet, and investing in our collective future. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The Greenaway podcast gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by discussing numerous financial sustainable options and our featured guests. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of The Greener Way are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. FS Sustainability operates under an Australian Financial Service License and the exemption made available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect to any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement 
And if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the FS Sustainability website, fssustainability.com.au.